Hello, everyone. I'm Jonathan McCready, joined by Andy McKinstry for another Gate Drop podcast. But this time, we've got Anton Was, the CEO of the Stark Varg electric bike that has basically revolutionized motocross in the last four to six weeks. Anton, thanks for joining us. And you must be really proud of what you and your team have achieved since this news has been released in the video. I think everybody's been very, very impressed. I know I have. Yeah, I mean, thanks, guys, for taking the time to uh, to listen to us and uh... The last three weeks have been uh, just amazing and uh, you know, our team has been working super hard here for a couple of years and uh, to see the response from the world uh, is so satisfying for everyone. So uh, it's showing that all the hard work from everyone is, uh, is paying off. So that's, that's nice. And just before we get, in, get into the bike and, and that end of things, can you just give us a brief run of, of your personal history and how you've got, got to this stage? Yeah, I mean, so I had a motorcycle uh, passion since I was an early teenager, and uh, I um, I started to be a motorcycle mechanic actually, and uh, but I never really worked with that. I spent a few months, and uh, then I um, <clears throat> was lucky enough to meet uh, Stefan Run and Daniel Peterson, and uh, we built uh, 24MX together, and. Uh, that's what I've been doing since I was 17 or 18 years old. Okay. And, uh, we started in uh, 2008 and uh, I left that company a couple of years ago. And uh, yeah, that was uh, quite a journey and here in Europe. I mean, the most motorcycle, motocross guys are aware about 24MX is and it has, yeah, it was a, a fun experience, but um, yeah, I wanted to do something different and I'm very happy to be here at Stark today. Yeah, I think we can say that from that uh, <laughs> historical chat there that you've been pretty successful. To go from building what obviously everyone knows, especially in Europe, 24MX is a massive online online superstore, still going strong today. And now we're, we're on, to, on, to your, on to your latest project. How long did this idea, or when did this idea start, and how long did it take to come to, to fruition? Yes, I mean, I've been dreaming about it for many years, because... I always thought that electric technology would make so much sense for motocross, uh, you know, no gears, uh, no clutch, so much easier to ride, no noise issue. I mean, we know that at least here in Europe for the last 10 years, 20% wall tracks have been shut down. Uh, and I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. So I've been thinking about it for so many years. And then as electric technology has evolved with other vehicles and so on, I've been just reading up on the technology and, uh, you know, trying to understand what would be possible. And then, uh, uh, finally, um, a bit more than two years ago, I decided to uh, to give it a try because I thought it should be possible to build an electric motocross bike that can outperform all gas bikes. And uh, I wanted to do it uh, with a partner. So I was lucky enough to meet Paul Saucy, who is uh, our CTO and my co-founder. And we created a company together. And uh, yeah, we said, let's do this if we can build an electric motocross bike that can outperform all the 450s. And <clears throat> That's what we think we have achieved. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's very exciting, of course. And you have Josh Hill from America and Sebastian Tortelli, who's obviously a former world motocross champion and also experienced in America. From my side, that's, that's obviously pretty smart because you're creating that American market with Josh and you have Sebastian, who knows the European and, and American market, as well as testing the bike. It's good exposure. And also, obviously, those guys have a lot of experience, super cross-wise, Player riding wise with Josh Hill, he has electric bike experience, and Sebastian has Grand Prix motocross experience all over the world. How have they found the bike the first time they rode it, and what's their development feedback? I'm sure it's been very useful for you. Yeah, I mean, both are great people, and I'm super happy to be working with both. And uh, I mean, 
I think Josh has perhaps more experience riding electric bikes than anyone else. So it's, uh, it's really good to compare with. And of course, he's a great supercross rider, free rider, motocross rider. But, you know, also with so much experience from various different electric bikes from before, it's, it's good to work with him, you know, so he can benchmark and, you know, think about what, you know, what has he been thinking about for these years that can improve. And then when he compare with our bike, you know, what does he think? And then if you look at Sebastian, I mean, he's a two-time world champion, uh, one of the fastest guys ever on a motocross track. Uh, I mean, to see his first experience, because, I mean, he has a lot of experience developing bikes. He has been part mm -hmm. of developing the first uh, Honda 450. Uh, he was working with Honda. I think he was a Japanese motocross champion with that bike or something. The first, he was also working with Suzuki developing the first 450. Uh, so he already took the technology transition from two stroke to four stroke and, you know, still being a very fast rider. And I think with that experience, with developing new technology before, it makes total sense that, you know, he can now play a major role in developing to new technology once more, which um, what I believe the next one will be electric. And yeah, so Sebastian is a uh, full-time, our test manager at Stark and uh, Josh is uh, uh, working with us uh, closely to test ride a bike and to give us feedback and, and so on. And yeah, it's su super exciting to have both involved in the project for sure. And I mean, if talking about the first experience, I think a lot of it is in various videos uh, across uh, YouTube and so on. But uh, no, it was really, really impressive. I, I remember uh, one of Seb's first rides, he was out on one of the 450s and then he jumped on the Stark. He did a couple of laps and he jumped back on the 450 and he did like two corners and he came back immediately and said, something is wrong with the bike. It feels super heavy. <laughs> and he really thought something was broken. And it, it wasn't. So I mean, that's a very nice uh, you know, example of the first impression. And actually today we broke a track record on one of the tracks that we're test riding on. It's really going well for us. Very good, right? Uh, Anton, it seems like a few years ago things started to kick off. But um, re really, when did the development of the bike really start for you? And... I mean, in this day and age, it's very hard to keep things a secret. There's not too many press releases that we don't know coming out. But I have to say, when the press release came out, it must have broke the internet a little bit because it came out of the blue. So very impressed with how you kept it such a big secret. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I mean, how did we manage to keep it a secret? We signed, uh, I think we signed at least 500 NDAs. And uh, fortunately, we work with people that you can trust. So uh, it stayed under the radar for, uh, for just over two years. Uh, that has been a development process, which is, of course, incredibly fast. But we built a team of people that has the experience of doing what we're doing, both in terms of power electronics, but also uh, developing uh, off-road motorcycles. Uh, we wanted to hire people that you know, has already achieved this. And then we want to see how we can elevate it instead of just trying to build a team of smart people and making them figure it out because, you know, figuring out the first time always takes so much longer. Yeah, I'm quite surprised. It's actually only two years in the making, really. You know, watching that video, you'd have thought actually a lot more time would have went into it. But just whenever you were developing the bike, was there any many tough moments? And was there any breakthrough moments when you thought, we're actually going to make this happen now? I'm sure it was quite challenging. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, from the beginning, it was like, this is too fun not to try it. So, so let's try it and you know, see if we can make this happen. So that, that was not a hundred percent certainty of success. Uh, but you know, it wasn't really one point where we had this breakthrough. I mean, when we, when we saw the 
powertrain in the dyno the first time. Uh, that was February last year. That was for me one of those moments for sure. You know, when, uh, I I know we did 65% of max power, 10 minutes straight, and uh, you know everything just worked perfectly. And uh, that that was one of those moments for me when it's like wow. Wow. And the next big one was, of course, riding the bike. That was just crazy. The first feeling of yeah, popping the first wheelie on the bike. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it must have been an amazing moment, actually, because it's something that you have worked so hard. So it must have been, you must have felt great. And um, can you just talk me through the first moments uh, uh, and what was always involved and what, what you had to do to get this bike off the ground? Yeah, I mean, in, in what, what essence? You know, I, I'm not sure I understand the question. So, like at the very beginning, what all you needed to, you know, sort out in order to get this operation going? Because I'm sure it was a lot of hard work. I'm sure the first thing was talking to people, getting the right contacts, and then after that. Yeah, I mean, we looked at power density of motors, we looked at energy density of batteries, and in the beginning, we had more hopes of you know we don't have to develop everything ourselves so first i started looking for a motor okay let's try to find a motor that is well suited for our application and we quickly came to the conclusion that you know there is nothing available so we have to develop our own motor uh, so okay that was kind of a big project uh, luckily we uh, we managed to to find a team to work with that has a huge experience developing high power electronics uh, which is part of Stark today, and uh, uh, together with with them, we managed to uh, to make that happen. I mean, you have to be an optimist if you understand how many problems you're gonna have before you start it. You know, you would never have started it because of so many things to to solve. So luckily, you know, we were more optimistic than uh, uh, than that, and we didn't foresee all the problems that occurred. But we've been been able to to solve all of it, and I think it's very much thanks to building a team of, of the people uh, you know that are extremely experienced in each field both in terms of development also in terms of production quality control and uh, yeah we, i think we have been we have not had so many big issues I mean, only minor stuff so you know we're quite uh, happy with that the expectation anton is that the japanese within the next 10 years will all be going electric there thereabouts you've got a big jump on them I'm sure they're going to be very keenly watching your machine and probably trying to copy a lot of aspects of it. Do you feel your company will be able to still compete with the Japanese once they come in? Because you've kind of given them a bit of a, a template for what to do now. And they've got massive budgets, obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I think, of course, you know, you, we are here to prove that electric technology is superior to gas. So as soon as you see that, you know, you easily understand, okay, that's the future. So if you want to sell motocross bikes in the future, okay, you have to build electric bikes. I think that's that's pretty clear. Um, yeah, I mean, I think competition is healthy. I, I have nothing, I see no problems with that. If you look at several other technology shifts in the past, uh, if you look at, you know, how did the music industry change? You know, it, it wasn't one of the huge music industry to Spotify that changed it. Uh, how did the car industry change? Yeah, it was Tesla was, was also a startup that is now a, a major manufacturer. Mm. Uh, you know, who changed the phone industry? It wasn't Nokia or Sony Ericsson. Uh, it was Apple. So, I mean, for sure it's possible to be the new player coming out and long-term succeeding. I mean, that has happened so many times before. I think it has, it's more common that it's the new player than it's, than it's the old player that succeeds. Uh, but when it comes to these huge Japanese companies, they, they are incredibly good at building motorcycles. 
but they are also incredibly slow. It took them 20 years to implement uh, electric starter in motocross. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be that fast. Uh, so, I mean, we welcome competition. I think it's going to be there. Uh, I think it's going to take some time before we have something that can really compete with our bike. But I mean, I hope not. I hope it comes earlier because at the same time, it's going to challenge us to build something better. It's not like we're done now and we're going to you know, just lean back and uh, enjoy the fruits of our work. No, this is the start. So we want to continue to innovate and see what we can do. And uh, the best way to motivate you is uh, competition. And just in the long term, is the goal to run an MXGP and AMS Supercross team? And do you think this will be hard to convince the riders or maybe not? And how competitive do you think right now the bike would be? Um, I mean, the track we're riding at today, we broke the lap record with three seconds. Um, and we were not, we think we can go faster. Um, so, yeah, I think we can beat the fastest 450s today. <clears throat> the best way to prove that our technology is superior to gas is to line up at the same gate as the 450s in the MXGP or AMA Supercross and to beat them. Uh, so for sure, that's our ambition. When is that going to happen? I hope it's going to happen this year, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We're pushing hard. I mean, I think uh, we're talking to FIM, we're talking to several other, other federations, and they are very open. Uh, they have the same issues as everyone else. You know, tracks are being shut down. And they're not allowed to race. They're not allowed to ra ride. So I think they also welcome, uh, you know, electric as, uh, you know, saving the sport so yeah let's see as soon as it can happen but yeah for sure that is the main target for us to compete at this this level yeah my next question was actually going to be if it was realistic that you could maybe do selected events in 2022 and currently are the rules in place to allow this obviously you've mentioned there you've already spoke to the fim and it sounds like it's positive from their end but at the same time you've just said you've broke a track track record by three seconds so how would you need to map the engine a certain way to make it fair so to race against the current bikes? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't honestly know how many horsepower a factory bike has. Uh, some people tell me they have 80 horsepower, 85. Others say that they don't really have so much more than 60, 65. <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, but I think we should have the same limit in terms of max power. That That's reasonable. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, Besides FIM, I mean, the French Federation have already included electric bikes in the regulations. So uh, with an electric bike, as long as they approve the bike, you're allowed to race this year on national level in France. Uh, the Italian Federation has uh, mentioned that they would like us to uh, uh, have a wild card this year. Uh, Swedish Federation is also pushing for electric. We have had some word from other federations as well. So I think it's, it's getting there. Uh, we will probably see some race this year i would that sounds all very positive my next question is i mean most of the top riders have contracts in place for 2022 so it might be a challenge to get somebody competitive to ride the bike but at the same time you've currently got josh hill involved would there be any chance he could race an mxgp or even an ama event for you um i mean it would be a lot of hype if you got him to do an mxgp round that would be a lot of fun uh, let's let's see what's possible. But I mean, there are a lot of fast riders that uh, don't currently have contracts. So uh, um, if 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 you want to race, uh, let us know. Yeah, because we do. Whenever the the, the four strokes came on board, the two fifty F was a bit of an advantage on the one two five, and that created a bit of tension with the the manufacturers that didn't have that bike at the time. And I think around two thousand two thousand and one, do you foresee similar? 
issues with the, the current manufacturers, KTM, Honda, Kawasaki, when if, if your bike comes in and is really, really competitive, maybe too competitive from their side, or do you feel that's something that is really up to the FIM to decide on? It's hard to say. I mean, um, do you want to hold back development? Maybe some people want to do that. Uh, if you're pushing for evolving the sport, you shouldn't. Uh, but I think it will be both. I mean, some people will be open and, okay, let's, let's see what can happen. And, uh, you know, just try to learn from what works best. And it's not certain that, you know, maybe someone else come up with something that's, that's even better than us. Um, but, um, yeah, I think we're going to face both and uh, just banish it. But uh, it just feels like a boring approach trying to stop the future. Why would you want to do that? Yeah. Um, KTM already have a, an electric bike, not for really competitive racing, but, but to ride. You've seen Max Volan do some pretty cool things on that. Alta had a maybe a more competitive in terms of, of racing electric bike that Josh Hill had a lot of experience in. I'm sure that he's been able to give you information with his experience on that for, for your bike, but Looking at it completely from the outside with no technical knowledge, your bike looks to be a big step forward, maybe the biggest step forward so far. Is that how you feel it is? Do you feel this is a revolutionary moment for electric bikes with the, the machine you've produced? Well, I think I mean, I, I tried both bikes. I think the KTM is a lot of fun, but it's not comparable to a full-size uh, motocross bike. Mm. The Alta, I think they kind of proved that it's possible, but it was not really there. It was... But it was, it's a really, really good bike. So they did an incredibly good job. But it was, I think, almost there, but not exactly there. Uh, with our bike, um, the best, you know, it's not for me to say, but um, when, when you guys can come over to Barcelona and try the bike, you will experience it yourself and uh, to feel, uh, you know, the, the difference. And uh, we, had, we had people that have competed on the highest level in the world that are currently competing on the highest level in the world that were a little bit skeptical of electric and you know even saying that you know no, fuck electric i want to ride my my four stroke and uh, i remember one of those persons tried a bike a few weeks ago and uh, you know on the on the first lap just you know immediately cleared all the jumps because they uh, felt comfortable directly and came back and uh, were just completely sold and said uh, you know I, I i never want to ride my four stroke again <laughs> so it, and this was really like a huge transition in mindset so i think the best way is to try the bike and it's gonna take uh, a long time for you know everyone to, to get there but um, yeah i mean it's, it's it's about having more fun and uh, we, we think it is <clears throat> people that don't race or just like to, to ride bikes this could be a game changer for for them and possibly for you because you're maybe going to reach a different demographic of more recreational riders a wee bit the way mountain bikes have, have really took off recently do you see that as a big part of your business future as well yes you have the racing side but i presume you're going to be producing different versions of this bike and maybe even more far removed from that for people that just want to ride maybe and if, if they have room at the back of their house or more urban areas yeah i know i think it's a really good point i mean our ambition right now is to replace gas bikes so make gas riders switch to electric uh, because that's also from a sustainability perspective makes most sense but if you look ahead i mean to own a motocross bike today you need to be a mechanic you need to have the skills to change air filter oil filter oil uh, maybe change piston uh, change clutch adjust valves stuff like this and if you don't have those skills, you need to have a lot of money and a lot of time driving your bike back and forth to 
and some other mechanic. So it certainly opens up the possibility to ride for everyone. I mean, if you can ride a bicycle, you will have enjoy and have fun on this bike. So if, if we look at the, how the mountain bike market is growing incredibly fast, you know, I, I've been trying to buy an electric mountain bike for a few months and it's not even possible. It's like it's completely sold out. So it's growing incredibly fast. I think whenever you're bored of your mountain bike and you want more adrenaline, this is the next step. And you don't need to learn to shift with your left foot, use the clutch with your left hand and brake with your right foot. You know, it's, it's the same thing as a bicycle. You just brake with your hands, so, you know, unless you want to use the brake paddle, you know, we have, uh, and I, I think that has a huge potential to grow this because anyone can ride. You can ride wherever you want because you're not disturbing anyone. You can ride whenever you want because once again, you know, there's no noise. So it's, it's opening up so many new possibilities uh, for new people and, you know, existing riders. Uh, to enjoy riding in so many more ways. So, yeah, I think I think it's going to grow the sport. Just you mentioned the no- the noise there. There isn't really any noise with it, which is the advantage on that side. But for a race, we just had the final of the World Championship a few weeks ago. Neck and neck, the the crowd roar and the the roar of the bikes for that final moto when Jeffrey Herring and Roman Fevre were on equal points. Do you think it's still going to be a bit of an adjustment for people to go to potentially a World Championship event and the future to have no noise and not that extra intensity from the engines? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of action sports in the world without noise. I mean, if you look at skiing, bicycling, downhill, you know, all of these sports, it's a huge amount of adrenaline. It's a lot of spectators and there's no engine noise. Um, so, I mean, I think certainly that's possible to enjoy without engine noise. And I think it can be super cool to stand next to the starting grid when you have 30 bikes taking off at full gas. You know, that sounds very powerful, but five minutes into it that noise gets very tiring at least for me it's you know it's it's too much and you kind of open up new senses with not having any noise i mean there's still a sound it sounds like a a bit like an rc car but much more so i mean well i'm biased but i think it sounds pretty cool (laughs) but i'm very biased so i'm not (laughs) going to say it but anyway what is really cool i had i had an example when we were test riding josh was riding just i just i was standing next to corner and when he was passing by and I could hear him laughing inside his helmet. And, you know, you cannot hear anything from a rider riding a 450 because there's just, you know, this huge amount of noise covering everything. And imagine an MXGP where the riders go around the corner and they can hear the spectators because they can't hear shit either because it's so loud. But imagine they can hear the spectators. I think that's going to be super motivating for them. But they can also hear each other so they can actually <laughs> scream or talk to each other while riding, which is, you know, something completely new, which I think can be, you know, next level. Looking ahead with your company over the next five to 10 years, mm. both in racing and outside of racing, do you feel you're going to be ahead of the curve for the, for the big traditional manufacturers? And where do you see your brand being in the next decade, say, 10 years time? Yeah, so we consider ourselves to be a technology company. So we want to continue to develop new technology in order to, you know, make bikes better, make the riding experience better. And um, that will be our main focus. So where will we be in terms of competition? I think our goal is not to build the cheapest product. Our goal is to build the best product. Uh, So it's possible that, uh, you know, we will be, you know, slightly more expensive than than other options. uh, If that means... You know, we don't necessarily want to be expensive for the sake of being expensive, but if we can build a better product, we will prioritize that. And then we will try to sell the product at, uh, at an affordable price as possible. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're, that's not the main priority. The main priority is uh, performance. And just a, a last question from me. 
obviously the factory bikes of today, Honda, KTM, so be it. They've pumped a lot of money into it. And a 450 today is very, very fast. Some people would say possibly too fast. In the future, if, say, everything does go electric, how do you see the sport going? Do you see the bikes getting even faster? I mean, on the highest level, probably you're going to go slightly faster around the track. Um, but I think it's going to be safer for several re- several reasons because it's so much easier to ride. So, so making it easier to ride makes it safer. Um, and I mean, I was talking to one uh, previous MXGP rider a few months ago who said that in every right-hand corner after a start, the 45% of those starts, there's a crash. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Almost half of the starts with a right-hand first corner has a crash. That's super dangerous. The reason is that they use foot, foot brake, so they cannot use the rear brake if they turn right in, in that corner. So you know, just by having the ability of having a handbrake there, you're massively going to reduce the amount of, of crashes. And uh, I mean, that, that's just one example. I, I think overall, it's just so much more controllable. Uh, there's also lower risk of engine failure and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to be safer, uh, but maybe a little bit faster. Um, but, you know, we have the ability to adjust it. So for beginners, you know, we can give them five horsepowers, 10, 15, 20, whatever they prefer. We can put a max speed to it. We can give them maximum traction control. So, you know, to really make it as smooth and easy to ride as possible. But of course, the fastest guy in the world, they always want to go faster. So it's only going to be about regulation, you know, how, how fast will they allow them to go? But you can probably go faster and be safer. That's what I was, but there's, of course, a balance to it. When it comes to <clears throat> MXGP and Supercross, Supercross is a bit more specialized, but MXGP, if a, a person off the street buys the bike for his own use to, to race on a weekend, what would a factory start Varg improve if one of the top MXGP riders said, I want to ride for you and in your factory team? What sort of percentage of improvement are you able to give them and how different would that be to a customer bike? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So if you look at the factory bikes, they put a lot of money into suspension. <clears throat> so that would be the same thing. Of course, our, our stock suspension is the highest level of the Kayaba, let's say, OEM suspension with a closed okay. cartridge and triple adjuster on the rear shock. But um, then you have the A-kit, which is the next level, and the factory guys use something that's similar to the A-kit, but, you know, slightly better. So I guess, you know, that, that would be a big difference. In terms of the motor, I don't think there would be any difference. Uh, then, of course, you can use more titanium. You can replace the shafts on the bike. Uh, you know, possibly you could replace the chromoly steel with uh, uh, some other alloy that is stronger, uh, lighter. Uh, currently in the FIM regulations, it's not allowed to use a titanium frame, which I think is a little bit strange, but, you know, that could be a possibility. <clears throat> and also just the, the final question from me is in regards longevity of the product, if a customer buys that product, obviously there's maintenance with the bikes at the minute, oil changes and, and checking everything's working okay, air filter changes. What sort of longevity do you feel a customer should get out of this bike that's going on sale next year? minimum maintenance but how many sort of years should this bike be able to, to run for battery last lasting and all that sort of thing yeah so the battery should last it really depends on how you ride um and how you charge the bike if you leave it uncharged for a long time you damage the battery um but i mean the battery in theory should you know easily be able to do a thousand hours so i, I don't think that's really the limitation 
Yeah, suspension, you need to service it same as on a normal bike. So it depends on how you clean it, etc. But it, it could be 100 hours. Um, but, you know, most people service it more often than that. Um, chain sprocket seems to last a little bit longer since we don't shift gears. Brakes, same. Um, so it depends on your riding style. And uh, yeah, I mean, the bodywork, handlebar, levers, depends on how often you crash. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, that's the same. <clears throat> And just actually the, my final, final question is you've, you've obviously ridden the bike for everyone watching or listening to this that hasn't. What does it feel like to ride the bike? Are you able to describe that, that feeling and compared to a modern 250F, 450F? Yeah, yeah. So the biggest difference is that it feels so much lighter. And the reason is that we have a lower center of gravity and we have a fraction of the motor inertia that you find in a gas motor. So from that, even though the weight is kind of in the middle of the 450s, a little bit lighter than Japanese, possibly a little bit heavier than a KTM or the same. Um, But it feels maybe 20, 30% lighter. Uh, That's my feeling. That's also our simulations when we simulate the motor inertia. That it's, you know, that's in a corner, that's how much lighter you could feel. Uh, So that's, that's the biggest difference. Then, you know, not having to worry about the power range of the limitations of a gas motor where you're constantly thinking about you know how much throttle how much you're slipping on the clutch which gear you're in you can just forget about all of that you know you pull the throttle when you want more so you need a little bit more throttle control but you know compared to all that all that symmetry simulation all that things you have to do at the same time it's so much easier uh which means that for me as an average rider you know i can focus much more on my body position you know which lines i'm taking when i'm braking when i'm accelerating so it's just making it i'm becoming much better at those things because i'm not worrying about other things and that makes a tremendous difference as well yeah and uh, my final final question is i think all the current (laughs) manufacturers there has been a bit of chat that they're going to go all electric for 2035 do you think with what you have now done with the stark fog it might happen sooner than that I mean, in Europe, 2045 is the last year. You're not going to be allowed to sell any street vehicle uh, that is gas-powered from 2045. So, you know, they should release something well ahead of time of that. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be difficult for them to, you know, to survive in Europe. Um, so, no, I would assume that they would have something sooner. Um, it seems that everyone is focused now on low-power vehicles, uh, small scooters, um, and low voltage, which I think the car industry has proven that that's... Low voltage is not the way to go. High voltage is significantly better for many different reasons. Uh, but we haven't really seen... Well, there are, of course, some high-power electric bikes today, but they're not really competitive and they're not using the highest level of technology. Yeah, so that's probably going to change. It's hard to say when the big manufacturers will start doing this, but you know, just from what we can see, nothing is really happening yet. But um, I, I mean, it's going to come. The question is when. That's brilliant, Anton. Thank you very much for your time and for your insight into this project that I think will ultimately revolutionize the sport and you're at the forefront of that. So again, you must be very proud of that and very busy, I'm sure. So thanks very much for for giving us your time and we look forward to seeing how this this progresses on the track and of course outside of it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, give us a call and uh, looking forward to uh, see you in Barcelona. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time.